Greg's friends, welcome back to the Film Alchemist podcast. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my friend and co-host and uh, extremely close-up face, Alex Dandino. This is the podcast where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. Uh, Again, I'm your host, Josh Griffey. Sorry, I kind of got out of order there. This is officially the first Film Alchemist podcast you can find on YouTube. So if you love the uh, sultry uh, tones of our voice, that's still there. We're still on audio. But you can also see uh, some crummy video of our face. (laughs) So that works. Yeah, Alex uh, pods in a baby studio. It's very weird. Very creepy considering what we talk about. Uh, But that's good, guys. So you can find us. We have a YouTube channel that covers the Film Alchemist. And our other show, The Long Box Sessions, uh, the channel's called The Chubby Mansion. It's an inside joke from the other one. It's a pretty cool place with Black Phillip and a lot of Smash Mouth and Nick Cage references. You know, no big deal. NBD, as the kids would say. Horrible, uh, horrible way to start that. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of what hip kids say, we're back with The Brat Pack. The pod joins The Brat Pack this month. I hope you guys liked our Breakfast Club uh, show. It truly is one of my all-time favorite movies, so it's great to revisit. Uh, We appreciate all the interactions we've been getting with you guys lately. It's been great. If you listen to us uh, on YouTube or anywhere, leave us some comments, ratings, and reviews. That helps us out a lot. Very cool. Share with your friends. Send us ideas to filmalchemistpod at gmail.com with movies you'd like to see uh themes double features whatever you want we have some really cool stuff coming up in the next couple months we're excited for yes uh so thank you guys i wanted to start with a thank you but now on to the brat pack now we decided to do a double feature featuring the wives right yes. so you and andre are going to be doing we uh 16 we candles 16 candles yeah and i just recorded with my wife amy uh pretty in pink so these are probably like the other two big Brat Pack movies that people are expecting to be covered. They right. will be covered. So we had to bring in some ringers, and we chose less than zero because I think it it's a nice one to drop right after uh, <laughs> yeah, The Breakfast Club, right? Because this is kind of what happens when these kids graduate and have to hit the real world. Because one thing I realized about The Brat Pack is uh, that I never realized when I was young for some reason, but essentially these are almost exclusively – rich white kid problems oh yeah well particularly less than zero like less than zero is uh based on a novel by brett easton ellis so it's like super rich white kid problems like hardcore rich rich white kid problems (laughs) it's hard because in my older life like i have some problems with like british royalty movies yeah you know people have heard me talk it's like how bad is it for you really like oh you're still just royalty like Oh, your life's hard, you know? Right. Oh, you only get one buttered toilet in your house. Like, <laughs> Did you just say whatever buttered rich people toilet? Do. Think about it. Think about luxury, Alex. You have to change. We're not part of that world, so we don't know what luxuries they're creating. <laughs> <laughs> Is that something you know about? Got it. Okay. It's something I fantasize about. I'll never be rich enough to know. <laughs> but so it did kind of bother me in all these movies. Like we just watched uh, St. Elmo's Fire as well. Uh, Weird Science is one of those where you have the home alone epiphany. Right. We're like, oh, my God, how rich are these kids? Right. <laughs> so there is there is a lot of uh, oh, poor rich white kids. Life is hard. And they're all teenagers to 22 years old. So anywho, I think less than zero is fascinating for a couple reasons. One, I like I, I like all these movies for the time travel aspect of just going back right. to that era. 
But this one especially has a superbly interesting Robert Downey Jr. performance that maybe would not have been as fun had we not had Robert Downey Jr.'s um, thankful comeback, right? Like, had he not gotten himself on track, this could have been one of those horrendous, like, what-if movies. Mm -hmm. But now we can just enjoy it. And it's paired with one of the most awkward and uncharismatic Andrew McCarthy performed like he is a strange dude. If there was an Oscar for movies where Andrew McCarthy just like walked around and like awkwardly stared off into the distance or at people, the, he would win every time. Like it would, yeah. it would be titled the Andrew McCarthy <laughs> Award, and any year he did a movie, he would have won it. Like because yeah, this happened in Saint Elmo's <laughs> Fire. It happens in Pretty in Pink. Like he always has yeah. this awkward presence where he's just like looming in a room. He's like. He's like the guy who didn't get invited to a gangbang, so he just sits in the corner clutching a pillow. Like, that's like his M.O. Yeah. No, it's weird because he essentially is the Michael C. Hall replacement who's trying to be as charismatic and off the cuff as Robert Downey Jr. while being in the cutout of James Spader from Pretty in Pink. So he's kind of this weird, like, confluence of different parts of these characters. Because he's always meant to be like, oh, look at that uh, heartthrob over there <laughs> who's just kind of unusually staring at me like, hmm, I wonder what her liver looks like outside of her body. <laughs> you know what I mean? But then also he flashes this like weird disarming smile and we're like, it's cool that I was just thinking he might dissect me. Yeah, I'll have dates I with think him. This movie, yeah, I think this movie lives and dies on Robert Downey Jr.'s performance. Because like, as much as I think Andrew McCarthy is fun to watch and like Jamie Gertz is fine. Robert Downey Jr. is the reason, like, because, look, without Robert Downey Jr., I think this movie is a dramatically boring movie. Like, well, it does feel like the kind of movie that would be lost yeah. to time if Robert Downey Jr. Right. Particularly was not Robert Downey had Jr. Robert Downey Jr. not come out of, because this, I mean, like, we were talking before the show, this is absolutely, this isn't like what would happen if Robert Downey Jr. is like, this is what Robert Downey Jr. did. Like, this isn't a t- oh this <laughs> this isn't like no this some... movie was submitted as evidence yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> this isn't they're just like hey uh, Orange County judge do you have a VHS player we'll just show you yeah and then the judge watched it and he's like you're right that guy's a real piece of yeah. shit jail this time. isn't like this isn't some like oh man Robert Downey Jr. really got into the mind of the drug addict this is like Robert Downey Jr. as Exhibit D like that's what we're looking yeah. at here <laughs> do you think he knew it was a movie <laughs> there's a very good chance he didn't like. Yeah, <laughs> this is like late. This is the late 80s, too. So this is right around the time he's starting to become famous. Like people are starting yeah. to recognize him more. But I really do think like his performance is Robert Downey Jr. quality, which is what makes oh, no, it so there, thrilling. there are moments as he's it, it hits after he stops doing the Robert Downey Jr. thing. We all know and love, especially as Tony Stark. Right. Once he starts hitting the, the downward slope, his performance really hits the depths you know it's it's really a very heartwarming performance that lets you kind of wallow in his misery right he does this great his eyes are this infinite well of sadness while he's kind of trying to front and it it is really fascinating to watch me i thought his performance was not just like oh isn't that cute when he started like it's a really really good performance there's a scene towards the beginning like sort of like in the middle of the movie like probably like right like right between the first and second act where you watch him like in the corner of a dance club, like heat up his crack pipe and smoke it. And I'm like, that probably also, isn't. By the way, 
No, no, no. Not in the corner of a dance club. Right in the middle of a dance club. Like right next to like this like lattice. So that like he's like, yeah, it's incognito. No one sees me doing it. I'm like, you can see right through those things. But that 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 is a see-through lattice. <laughs> he like heats up his crack pipe, and I'm like, this can't be far off from what Robert Downey Jr. was actually doing in the 80s, uh, anyways. But it's like, uh, you know, when like a bump won't do. I'm like, where are you hiding that little blowtorch? Yeah, yeah by the way, Jamie, yeah, Jamie Gertz <laughs> is like doing bumps all over the place in this movie, and like Robert Downey Jr. is literally heating up a crack pipe in the middle of a dance club. Like, that's yeah that's some next level shit the way that the way that they play her is kind of the moral compass of these two guys as she constantly seems to be the one making everything worse yeah. i actually found it, her it's an unusual i actually found blair insufferable i was like if they had just kicked this girl to the curb they'd all they'd both be fine like nothing bad would have yeah been, like it would have fine i mean it would have gone bad for all of them equally the same sure and to be fair, her intervention didn't help much, as we learned. No, but, yeah, no but shit, I, right? Let's start off. So we start off with uh, the graduation shot. This is a classic, you know. Hey, everything's great. I'm going to double fish champagne in front of my uncle. Everything's cool. They go off, and then we do. I love the opening montage of this, right, where we cut to. So Andrew McCarthy is now in his bed. He gets a call. I need to talk to you. And it's his girlfriend, right? He wakes up, and this is. You know I'm obsessed with weird decision-making in movies. That for no reason, you're like, why is this happening in a movie, right? This is a very simple scene. You roll out of bed. You look through a window so that the audience is transported through the window, right? Into the mind's eye. Into your montage. For some reason, Andrew McCarthy's character sleeps in a long sleeve thermal shirt, but just hangs jingle bells. He's got no drawers on. No underwear, no boxers. So he's just standing there with his little butt yeah. out. Turns around and somehow his jingle balls aren't angling down. And I was just like, who does that? Yeah. Who's like, I'm so cold. I need a thermal shirt under all my blankets. Yeah. Yet the my area that is most sensitive to cold, I'm just going to have out getting nut sweat all over my bed. I feel like that's one of those. Gross. I feel like that's one of those like actor choices. And like someone <laughs> like someone back in Video Village was like, does he know that your balls get cold? At the, like, yeah, but it's fine. Like he just wants to show his ass on, on movie and on screen. I'm like, okay. <laughs> That's fine. It's like, I'm not as hunky as I want to be. This could be my shot. Call in the stunt ass. No, I was well, this like, is like why? Andrew McCarthy. Like, let's see. This is 1987. <laughs> so this is Andrew McCarthy as the headliner of the film, for one. Yeah. But this is Andrew yeah. McCarthy. Like, this is after St. Elmo's Fire, after Pretty in Pink. Um, and I think, like, either right as Mannequin got got um, released. Like, this is right. his... This is not just him. Yeah. This is also him like trying to get out of the Brat Pack. Because while this movie has Brat Pack people in it, the reason we picked it is because it's like post Brat Pack for a lot of these kids. Yeah. Well, he's essentially the the kind of archetype, right? Yeah. He's like, hey, can I just can I just I saw Into the Future and there's this guy Jason Bateman. It's like if I can do what he does without any charisma or comedy, <laughs> that's the that's the lane I'm trying to take. And he's in a lot of good movies. Yeah. No, and I, it's it's weird because it, he doesn't really bother me. But then when I I think about, it, I'm like, yeah, he's just such a creep. He's just a you guy know? who it's exists. Like especially okay. he's just creep. Especially after watching these movies, and particularly after watching Saint Elmo's Fire, I realize how aggravating I find Andrew McCarthy in Less Than Zero. Like, well, we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to the Saint Elmo's. That's right. a whole that's a whole other thing. I mean, but good in God. relation <laughs> to like I, after like I watched Saint Elmo's Fire, and then I watched Less Than Zero, and I'm watching Less Than Zero, and I'm watching Andrew McCarthy just sashay through this film and i'm like god damn it you are so annoying with 
the whole like I'm a college like I, this is a, like I kept having to remind myself I'm like these people are college freshmen. The idea is that they are like yeah. literally 19 years old. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, they're they're all just extras from like Wall Street. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what the fuck is happening? Everyone has no, high crop. I mean, St. Elmo's Fire was ecstatic when Rob Zombie started making movies because you're like, finally, we're not the biggest, you know, menagerie of least likable people of all time. It's like Rob Zombie family level horrible in St. Elmo's Fire. But so we start here and then we cut to this black and white montage, which I love, which is like, <laughs> uh, I'm not going to school. It's going to be hard. I'm scared. Okay. And I'm like, wait, you're a, a beautiful young possible model. Yeah. Who's afraid of going to rich white kids' school? That was another one of those. I was like, oh, these fucking kids. Sorry, you're white? And, you're uh, white? You and live on the beach? To... You're scared of going to school, yeah, right. huh? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure things will be really hard for you there. <laughs> Your dad won't just buy a library and get you a, a paper degree. It's fine. <laughs> no, and then uh, we cut to he comes home for Thanksgiving, and apparently they just didn't realize he was coming home. So he walks in and finds him just bawling out. <laughs> Or the remnants, right? The, the yeah, they're like leftover. They're just like sleeping it out. off. That was my. That was my. Yeah, favorite. and then he's just like, "Oh, how dare you, best friend? Huh? Fuck you!" Yeah, blows it up, and then we cut back to just the icy reality, right? Of oh, my boy, fucked my girl. The executive of Tone Deaf Records was not trustworthy. It was fascinating too. I realized the way they did this is like they reversed the uh, the usual haircut trope of these kinds of things like Andrew McCarthy has very long hair in the flashbacks. And then when he cut, we cut back to the present, his hair is like perfectly quaffed and cropped. Like yeah. that's a reversal very much. So of what usually happens, which is like when you, in these kinds of movies where you catch a girl with someone else, like you go through this like hobo phase where you grow it all out and you got a beard and you're like, <laughs> oh, life. like the way we are yeah. now is how normally, like I'm like post. Yeah. If, if you found out today I was having a divorce, this is exactly how you think I'd look, and that's what Andrew McCarthy. That's what we should have been, but he started that no, way. But this is the problem with the movie: is that you're like, oh, he's just like on his way. Yeah. Like whatever Andrew McCarthy. Like at one point, he's wielding a gun. They're um, hiding evidence. Like there's a lot of weird things they do that you're like, man, if you weren't rich white kids, oh yeah, this could be. But he's like Andrew McCarthy's the guy, and pretty much everyone in this movie, it's like unless they kill themselves, which is a constant threat in every scene. <laughs> You're like, they're just going to go on to take over the world and be neighbors with the mansions we're already seeing. Also, apparently, this is but- a this is an alternate reality Los Angeles where the LAPD just doesn't exist. I'd like to point that out. Like, literally. Uh, LAPD is not in the neighborhoods where this movie takes place. <laughs> FYI. LAPD is paid to stay out of the neighborhoods where this movie takes place. Yeah. No, we're good. We're good we're over good. here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Malibu PD, it's one guy. It's that fucking guy from the Big Lebowski where he's just sitting in the, stay out of Malibu. That's it. I'm just here looking for nihilist. Any nihilist? No. Okay. Okay. Good. Cool. I'm out of here. <laughs> no. Um. So then we cut to he comes back for Christmas. Right. This is another. They have a great decision. I love, which is every house the rich kids walk into. There's just a dish of weird candy. Yeah. What is that? Say so it is every house. It's because their life is that good. Are you sure it's candy? Then, I uh, thought it was just pills. I thought they were just like. They're <laughs> just Vicodin. Yeah. It was the 80s. It was like, ugh, it's a lot of blow I've been doing. I need to It's like the out. last remnants of Quaaludes and then just like Vicodin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, it's kind of the same effect, right? A sugar hit and a There's Vicodin just hit. drugs everywhere in this movie. So I assume anytime I see something that I don't know what it is, I assume it's probably just drugs. Yeah, right? So th- this sets up our let's fuck Christmas together party, which I'm assuming Robert Downey Jr. is throwing. That's what I thought, yes. 
despite having no money, as we find out. He's way in the hole. Now, this sets up the rest of the movie for us, right? This is, hey, I know that I cheated on you, and I'm sad, and I'm going to ask if you still think of me all the time because I'm a shallow narcissist. Also, can you help save the person that fucked me and ruined everything for all of us? (laughs) And we meet James Spader, who I adore. Oh, my God. I'm on record as I love James Spader in these movies. I completely forgot James Spader was in this movie, by the way, and I was so happy when I saw him. Well, James Spader brings in a real darkness because first off, he's kind of when he meets Andrew McCarthy, he's essentially Virgil, right? At the start of uh, Inferno. Yeah, absolutely. Where he's kind of like, hey, this seems like a really stupid place for you to be hanging out, tra- <laughs> trampsing about. Like, maybe you should leave. And Andrew McCarthy's like, no, it's cool. I, you know, things went so well last time I came home for a holiday. I'm just going to hang out. And uh, Spader's just kind of like, well, all right. He's like, they're my clients. If you want to be associated with these fucks. So Spader actually does the only good thing in the movie, which is like, please get out yeah. of here. These people are garbage people. <laughs> McCarthy, of course, forsakes X. He's going to come back like a sucker right. and try to win back the girl who couldn't not cheat on him. Right. School starts in August. <laughs> he comes home for Thanksgiving. Yeah. It's not a huge window and he's very wealthy. So there would have been easy amount of like, hey, I'll come home for the weekend. I'll fly you out for the weekend. Right. right? right. I know you're afraid of school and homework, but like not to come out and party for a weekend. <laughs> so then we're just to accept that she could not stop fucking this guy you know for like three or four months (laughs) right right? she couldn't make it but that's the girl he's gonna go back and fight for right then we meet robert downey jr come to find out tone deaf records didn't work oh my god it went belly up apparently so he's just borrowing money from his dad (laughs) they're like he lost the money his dad owned him or owed him but he still lives in his father's mansion as long as he doesn't do drugs you're like Wow, we got to save this guy. Yeah. We have to save this character. <laughs> yeah, honestly, was, throughout this entire movie, like when I got to the end, I'm like, I think James Spader's the hero of this movie. He started the movie by trying to warn people, get out of here. These people suck. And like he he's literally yeah. like he's literally <laughs> like the boatman. He's like the boatman on the river sticks. who's like, are you sure? You sure you want to do this? Like you're saying that you think James Spader should have been running a uh Florida massage parlor, Robert Kraft <laughs> visited kind of set up with all these characters. Like they're all so bad. They should have been. I'm telling you right now, <laughs> this movie should have been retitled the Florida project Two, And these characters all should have been living near or in Orlando near Disney world. And James Spader would absolutely have been the Willem Dafoe without question. Yeah. Saving the world. I mean, the way I thought of the title, I kept waiting for someone to be like, I feel less than zero. All right. <laughs> but I, <laughs> The thing I thought, honestly, is I was like, I give less than zero fucks about the struggles of these characters, right? <laughs> like, there are some really, I like the performances, and I like any movie set in this period almost generically. But I was like, this does seem like the silliest group of people and problem to care about. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's not like Robert Downey Jr.'s life was so hard that then he, you know, had to become a drug addict. You know, it's not like... It's hard for me to latch on to that, right? And it's not even like addiction movies. Um, I actually think this movie does an exceptional job portraying the struggles of addiction, right? There are some really good moments of that. But again, it's like, it's just so self-inflicted, right? Like, there are people in other movies you see where really bad things happen to them. And you're like, of course, how do they not seek comfort in these other things? You know, this is just like, hey, you just party too hard for too long and didn't want to stop. And then you get caught, and it's hard. Like, I think he does an earnest job of, you know, 
they they give him that nice moment where he wants to reform, but clearly he just can't. Yeah. Well, I think that's like the value of Robert Downey Jr.'s performance in general. Like anytime I've, and I don't know if you've like any other Brett Easton Ellis adaptations that I've seen, like movie wise, and then if you read those books too, like all of those characters are just irredeemable pieces of shit. Like I love the rules of attraction, but every single character in that movie is horrible and all of them deserve a violent and vicious death. But like this, <laughs> you are a James Spader. But, like, this movie, you're more like his hitman, Billy. <laughs> Thank you. I take that as a huge compliment, by the way. Um, you're like I've been living my whole life for this moment. This movie though, like Robert Downey Jr. I really, especially like when he, like that scene in the movie where he gets he goes back to his dad's house and he's like looking at CDs and his dad just beats the shit out of him basically like like kicking him out of the house that I was like yeah and then for some that other kid who looks like Angus yeah just like wants to maul him I was like who is that guy yeah, what who's that kid because he came out of nowhere I was like is that the brother I, is that the bodyguard is his dad having an affair with Angus like I could not figure <laughs> out who that kid was I assumed it was the brother but now that you bring up the affair thing that is also Essentially, he looks like he's in his bedroom, right? His, like, sex lair with mirrors everywhere. Right, right. He comes out, confronts his son, and then all of a sudden, Angus pops out. He's like, <laughs> and that's it. That's all the information I got on that character. Yeah, I did not know who that was. I just, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, and then after, like, Robert Downey Jr. goes to, like, uh, how long was he, by the way, sitting on that rock on the beach? Because, like, it's. Okay. Now, this scene, I have to stop you. This scene is the thing I hate most in any movie ever, which is, so Robert Downey Jr. sashays his dramatic ass out to the right. rock, right? That makes sense to right. me. As a person who has been on a couple benders myself, there is this moment where you're, like, wallowing in kind of despair, and there is this, like, oh, I'll go be cinematic about it, right? I'll go find somewhere to, like, think, right? right. Like, I'll go stew somewhere and, like, make it really deep. So I totally get that. I do understand that. The thing I hate in movies. So they're driving all over the fucking place to find this right. guy. Going in and out of every club. They find him. They park. They walk what seems like a really long way to get out to Drama Rock. Right? Drama Rock. He goes out there and Andrew McCarthy finds his friend he's been searching for all night who might get murdered and is a hardcore drug addict. Right? right? Just essentially to say, hey, man, do you want some help? And Robert Downey Jr. is like, no, you're fucking the girl that you were fucking, but then I'm fucking, so now that's weird. And Andrew McCarthy just goes, all right, I'm going to go. I'm like, you went all the way out to The Rock, and that's your play is just a, all right. I mean, that scene is actually about a minute of useless dialogue, and then Andrew McCarthy gives up and leaves his drug addict friend on Drama Rock. And when movies do this, right, where it's like, let's go find a visually fun setting to have characters... Because this, this is the other thing. You live in L.A. They're in that car for like four hours. Yeah. Like you're going to be pissed when you find him. If that takes. And so you saunter out there just to say nothing and then come back. I hate scenes Especially like that. where these kids live. Like that particularly would be quite the trek from where you're coming from. Even if you're in Malibu, it would be a lot of a lot of driving. Yeah. So, yeah. But even in Malibu, yeah. Then you got to pay to park and all this. Like, come on. Not worth it. Don't. I, I hate scenes where characters just travel excruciatingly annoying distances to just say nothing you know it's not even that though but, like but this is the blending like this is where like the time stamp of the movie i'm i'm not sure how long it took to get out there how long robert downey jr's been hanging out on the rock <laughs> like drama rock as a location has like lasts for a long time and i'm like 
It also feels like every scene someone says, uh, Merry Christmas, and you're like, how many days in a row is Christmas? Yeah, what the fuck? My God. Like, it, it takes... Th- this is the point I wanted to get to, though, before we move on. What I actually think the power of Robert Downey Jr.'s performance is, I think he pulls off something extremely hard, right? I don't know how you feel, but I when I see like rich white people problem movies, it is hard for me to ever feel bad for them, right? I think we kind of watch them as a good they're getting their comeuppance right right? like there was that documentary um i think it's called the the queen of versailles yeah i can't remember what what exactly it is but it's about the lady whose husband they're trying to build the biggest mansion in florida right right? right. 18 kitchens five different tennis courts it's just stupidly opulent for no fucking reason right right? like ridiculous and then her husband's kind of a scummy hey i sell timeshares so you watch these people who are rich, and then as their lifestyle starts falling apart, there's this good. And at the end of the movie, you're forced to be like, wow, God, I kind of feel like a piece of shit. Like, it's it's weird that you're rooting for people to fail, right? Yeah. We see that now in our country where it's like, good, I ho- like, you know, Bill Maher, I hope there is a recession and Donald Trump, like, how dare you? There is this kind of, like, cutting your nose off to spite your face. You're like, good, I'm glad these people are learning a lesson because they have stuff that I want, whatever. Right. Um. So Robert Downey Jr. is already swimming upstream against that. And then I think it's also hard to watch movies and characters who are facing addiction. Because I think something, even as a society, we're not great yet about thinking of addiction as a, a, a disease or a medical problem. I think a lot of people, especially like older than us, think you are just a fuck up. You are weak. You know, you just want to drink all the time or do drugs, whatever. Right. So I think Robert Downey Jr. is faced with, hey, can we give you the two most unlikable features <laughs> That a character can have for most audiences. Right. But what I love about Robert Downey Jr., take drama rock aside and all the bad stuff he does, right? He pushes his girlfriend at one point. He owes everyone money. He's just borrowing money. He shuts his uncle out because he won't give him money. Right. He's a pretty big piece of shit, most of the movie. Right. But there are great moments of him. And the scene that comes to mind is when his dad's playing tennis on that and just like not moving the tennis balls out from under his feet. That scene, right? Yeah, okay. And he just comes home and he's just like, Dad, like, I just want to try better just for one time. Say that you believe in me. Right. Like, and his dad finally breaks down the hard ass dad. Right. Cause Angus isn't there. His lover Angus isn't there to like get mad, but his dad breaks down and is, you know, can you be sober for one week? And he just, you know, he's like, I'll try, you know, he's like, I'll try. If you try meet me, have, and that's a, it's a beautiful endearing scene. Right. Like I was, I was getting all teared up. I cried everything though. But I was all teared up, and I was like, so Robert Downey Jr. is one of the most unlikable setup characters I can imagine in a movie. He really finds moments to give you this, man, you just want to reach through the screen and give him a hug. Yeah. And so I, I think that is, I mean, it's it's just very, very impressive that he's able to elicit feelings when, as you're watching, you're just like, this piece of shit had everything, is destroying himself with drugs, and now he's addicted. Why should I feel sad? And and I don't know if it's because time has changed us, and I think more of us are seeing this everywhere. But especially for back then, I think that's a really impressive feat that he accomplished. Sure. I mean, I think that what it is is – no, I mean, I think – I really do think it's a matter of time sort of passing. Like, you and I are both parents now, and when you see stuff like that, like, especially in movies, like, there are things that affect me now that would not have affected me a year ago. Like, oh, yeah. And I think that really does speak to it does speak to your life experience and everything like that. But I think it also speaks to the power of Robert Downey Jr.'s performance in general. And like, again, you're right. I When I watched movies, my general examination when we're watching things is like, yeah, I don't give a shit about rich 
white people or rich people <laughs> like rich people in general their problems are solved like you're you're rich you're fine like everything that you could have been upset about is solved because you have the money to fix the problem but like yeah I think you want something like thoroughbreds where it's like, oh, they're destroying themselves. Right. right. They are the evil people we think. They right. Are. Well, dude, I think that's an, a great that's a great example, though. Like thoroughbreds is another yeah. like three person flick that I think has sort of not I would not say similar at all to what less than zero does. But it does have the same like these people don't really have problems. Their problems are the first first world problems. Right. Their first world problems, too, are that they are problematic themselves. So I think that for us yeah. to watch Robert Downey Jr.'s performance and get anything emotional out of it, because I think Jamie Gertz and Andrew McCarthy do a really good job of boring the shit out of me as far as like their personal inter interplay goes. OK, so I'm going to stop you there. Right. Like what? Was there anything you latched onto from either of those characters, no. right? Like Andrew McCarthy to me was kind of just he's almost a prop, right? It's like let's just get this generic cardboard cutout that the audience can imagine themselves in. Yeah. Like, wow, these people are crazy constantly. Andrew McCarthy but tried his was best there anything... at Yeah, I mean, they didn't give him much to work with in this script no. to be fair. Um, what did you think about uh, the girlfriend, though, was there anything there? Because they, they run her parallel where she seemingly wants to be helpful and do the right, right things, but also is every time she's trying to save Robert Downey Jr., she's doing a bump. Yeah, I, I, I have a problem with that. Like, I really don't understand, like, mainly because I don't care. I think that, like, I think Jamie Gertz, like, I think Blair is a problematic character because she doesn't. <laughs> elicit any sort of like emotion from me other than like oh god like both of these guys should have been done with you so long ago like hey you're and she should be done with hey you're a model from the it's first a, black and white montage yeah. right we see he's a cheater and a drug addict she's a cheater and he doesn't wear pants when he sleeps it's like who am i supposed like to it's weird for? that this like the fact that this story is being told <laughs> is peculiar to me because like these three people should in reality never be speaking to each other again like yeah. what this movie really should be about is like Clay's journey through Los Angeles having been gone for a while, but it's like Brett Easton Ellis didn't want to tell that He's story been gone for like four months yeah. and he'd already been home for Thanksgiving. So it's not like so he, he hasn't clearly, been in LA yeah, for So he clearly has been back to LA and it's not like actually the opening title is six months later, right, six months, which having already been home more than once probably. Right. So six months, <laughs> like, come on, like this is just, it doesn't make any sense to me. And there's a lot of like the back and forth is just so weird between them because yeah like blair the entire movie's like i really want to save julian but <gasps> oh sorry i had to do a bump real quick uh i really want to save julian but also he's my drug dealer and like i'm like where are we going with this like and she like goes right back to going to hanging out with clay and like banging clay and doing all kinds of other stuff that like i don't understand what her like emotional quagmire would be in this movie other than like oh like she has the poor position of having to bang two dudes and like be a hot model and like soap commercials who cares but see this is what i mean though this is why i do think the movie deserves a lot of credit because i think almost every character in the movie has that why do i care about what is this person is struggling right. with but i actually do that's the weird thing is i kind of looked at her and i i was a little you're just like god can't you just do one thing right right like, every time she did a bump, it was just this, oh, like, you're trying. You're trying, right? Clay's trying to get her to go back to college with him. Like, that'll solve anything. 
Also, you're like, just because she lives in your dorm room, she's not admitted. Right. Like, she's not going to get a degree. Like, she's just going to be there to, like, wait on you and have sex with you when you're not in class. But any, like, you know, they're young people, right? So young, foolish strategies, fine. But it is, I think that's, because they do a really good job. The older rich people in this movie are really good performances, I feel like. Yes. I love his, uh, his uncle who wants to be the party bro, right? And Robert Downey thinks he's going to get him to invest 15K in this thing, and he does bumps with him in his used car salesman. Right, right. He's the guy who is still clinging to that past life. Right. And then he gets shut down at the end, and him, Robert Downey have this weird interplay. You're like, this is just very strange. But it almost makes you feel more bad for him because in a world where Robert Downey Jr.'s uncle is leading him on and doing bumps with him, what chance does a kid like that have? Right. Like, you forget in this movie, because we're watching it older, that these are children. We see them doing adult things, but they are actually children. Right. And so there, there is this level of but see, of sadness on that. But see, you're going back, but you're right. I feel for Robert Downey Jr. because he never had a chance. But even them. But I know Blair and Clay are both. That's bullshit. Like Clay got out. Clay's been in New York. Clay's like trying to live his best life right. being in New York. So clearly, Clay's seeing the other side of the other side of the grass, and he's like, "Oh, cool, like." I can live and be a bohemian artist in New York, and my parents will pay for everything. I'll be fine. No, he dresses like a square. Well, that's the irony. Like to me, that's like sort of the yeah. irony from 1987. Is like he dresses like a square, but he dresses like, you know, smoldering square. That's the idea. He's he's take he's in the pipeline, right? He's like, I'm going to take the steps to make sure that I don't get untrust funded, right. and then I'm just going to become my parents because it's awesome. To be a rich white person. That's his move, right? So I I think that's the thing is that I I appreciate what the movie does accomplish despite the fact that, again, I give less than zero fucks about anything in the movie. The only part of it, there are two things in the movie that I found extremely captivating, right? I loved a lot of the performances. So I did think there was some good value in the different characters, right? I just don't care about what's happening to them. Because it all seems kind of trite and easily avoidable. But I loved the weird sex choices of Clay and Blair. <laughs> right? So the two I will bring up first off. The let's make out. Yep. Right? And we're going to park in the middle of the road. so Because we cannot not make out for 30 minutes By the way, to get not a going. dead end. Like literally like the middle of Sunset Boulevard. Right. And the choice that I love that the directors made is... Let's have a biker gang of like 50 guys be driving down the road and be like, look at this fucking rich little jerk off blocking the road. It's cool. We will part our bikes and go around and not rough him up or tell him he's a dickhead. No one flips him off. No one spits at him. No one breaks his rear view. I was like, that's crazy. This movie, this writer, Brent Easton Ellis, the director are actually just showing us that nothing can touch these rich white kids. (laughs) Those bikers would have left them as scarecrows on the steps of that building. Absolutely. Like, don't fucking be these people. Absolutely. There's no way they get away with that. Cut to an even better moment where she decides she's going to blow him when they're driving. Right. And he decides to do the ejaculation donut in the middle of what looks like a four-way stop. Yes. yes. Right? I'm going to do burnouts as I nut. They were the two... They funniest <laughs> choice ownership. They show <laughs> I, what I loved about what I loved about the uh, donut. That's how I'm, that's how I would describe oh, it. 
I see what you did there. What I loved about the donut was that <laughs> you know what it was, was they were out doing process trailer stuff and the director's like, all right. We're gonna peel them. We're gonna have them peel out right as the. And then when I cut it together, it'll look like that's when he came. It's like that's a little on the nose, don't you think? Shh, shut up. You don't know anything about filmmaking. No, he's like, I want to be a real artist. I don't want to do one of these normal cutaways to a champagne cork blowing out. <laughs> I want to make a bold decision. I want to make a bold decision. And they did. And we, let's let, let's find. Let's spend thousands of dollars. Let's get the stunt driver and let's do this the right way. <laughs> And that's but, and then but this is the part that made me mad. I'm like, these dudes are wild. Like they're wilding out across the streets of LA, offending bikers, doing donuts, almost causing car accidents, whatever. We cut to the apartment where they can actually full on fuck, and they have the most boring sex I've ever oh, seen in a movie. God, yeah. For doing like insane things that no one should be doing in Los Angeles at midnight. Which by the way, again, this also posits that Los Angeles is like closes down at midnight. Like they're just driving around like no cars are out. Fuck. Again, you. as a person who used to have a bit of a partying problem, I can assure you we're all out yeah. there. So we're all. Out so there. a there's that <laughs> insane idea that no one's around. <laughs> Fuck you. Then on top of that, like the insane amount of sex, like again, no cops. Cops aren't paid to, like, stay away from these kids. It's amazing. Cops have a radar gun, and then they have a whiteness yeah. gun. He's like, beep, 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 beep. He's like super Too white. Too white. Can't not do going it. To rest. <laughs> no, but that's what I mean. It's like, oh, I'm going to do the donut so that everyone around can see how cool I right. am. Then they get in the apartment, and they're like, there's no one to show this to except for each other, I guess. Let's just knock this out. It's very blue collar at that point. All right, hurry up. I got to go to lunch in five minutes. Yeah, yeah, then, yeah. It's so boring. The cut to the, I'm like, wow, so the coolest thing about this sex is that it's shot with a blue light, huh? All right, cool. I guess that's, <laughs> that's what we're doing. Like, uh, It made me sad. And then, this is the other thing, too, because they only get amped up when it's like someone could catch them. Right. Right? Because then they go to the most awkward Christmas dinner ever, which I love, where his uh, dad and mom are divorced. The dad brings the side piece. The mom is death staring. Right. right? Which is amazing. Those two moments are great. When he's like playing the piano and she's just like, fucking asshole, this motherfucker. And Andrew McCarthy and his girlfriend decide, hey, let's walk out five feet away from the double glass sliding door we just walked out of. And let's do weird lick sex on this lattice. Again, people think lattices can't be seen through. It's a it's a checkerboard lattice. You can see right yeah, through. I don't... And then it's but the intercut is great because it's like inside there's the ex-dad and his piece. They're doing like. Oh, 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 classical music, boring lyrics. Then they cut out, it's like, Van Halen licks sex. And I was just like, these fucking people, they only are just exhibitionists. They're like, we only want to fuck so that people know that we fuck. And it's good. I'm still unsure of, like, again, the use of (laughs) lattice in this movie. Can we talk about that? (laughs) They're like, we got a discount. We got 10 lattices for the price of one. We're using we're using them. Like, not only that, though, they're using them in a way that they don't exist in the real, real world, which is like, these are very, very fortified lattices that literally no one can see through. I don't understand. Yeah, no, you can definitely pick a woman up and press her hard into a lattice without it shattering. Yeah, for real. Have you ever, like, yeah. Have- hey, whoa, first off, Andrew McCarthy's family would have a range of lattice that me and you will never even see. These are not carried in Menards, my friend. That's true. These are like these are coastal elite lattices. These are uh, these are elite lattices picked up at the lattice store off Melrose near. Uh, they probably just hire someone to like stand on the other side of the lattice as you're having sex. 
I like the idea that they, I like the idea that they were like <laughs> I like the idea that the art department was shopping for this movie and they saw a lattice like on Rodeo Drive like holy shit problem solved guys and like they just used lattices for everything yeah like rich people and lattices no, it's, it's the rich person dream these two kids it's like we want to pretend that we're hiding because we're doing sex but also we definitely want you to right. see it's like. Yeah, we're pretending Shit. we're hiding because we don't want anyone to see we're having sex, but the camera needs to see us having sex. So and it's like if you didn't want us to see it, why did you start blasting the Van Halen? <laughs> that specifically draws our attention. <laughs> it's just, it's just too much. I man. love the sex. I love the sex choice. It's very good. The sex, the sex choices are the opposite of the driving to dramatic spot to say nothing yeah. choices. Well, They're of really course, strong. that's also. Secondly, uh, the James Spader as the. Hardcore drug dealer with uh, brutish, dyed blonde boyfriend enforcer. Strong choice. Oh, yeah. Very strong. I love that. Like, there's. And that's the other thing. It takes a minute because it starts off. He's like, oh, he's just a drug dealer. Oh, his bodyguard, you know, is pretty butch, I guess. Oh, they're dating. And then it's like, oh, God, he's making Robert Downey Jr. do blowjobs. Yeah. I really. That part was insane. Because that's the other. I'm like. God damn, how many dicks do you have to suck to pay off $50,000? Cuz it's bad math like as a drug like that's the other thing. I like Spader and I like that like oh cool, he's like a gay a gay drug dealer type guy. Like this cool. If it's- but by the end you're like he's the worst businessman, right? Cuz one, you don't loan someone $50,000 and have them pay it off in blowjobs right. cuz they're probably paying what even but do you think that was part like, of it altogether? Like maybe he was about job. to get Blondie out of there and he needed a new bottom bitch. Like he has obviously a stable of whores. So no, because Julian's not going out and throwing bows that people need to pay up. You know what right, I mean? But maybe he was like, you've you've done enough blowies. I need Again, I need a, I need a, I need a new math. I need a new man stallion. How many years is that going to take him to make back the fifty thousand dollar investment? Well, he that's made. the question. Like, how much do you think a blowy from? And then later, right? They go to the girl's apartment destroy it and write julian gives good head you're like she's not a part of this essentially they use her to find him how this is the part of the movie that drives me nuts right if they had called the cops in that scene and just be like hey uh these guys wrote this for sure our friend's a drug addict and uh you need to handle this that guy gets arrested uh julian probably ends up (laughs) getting uh arrested and maybe is forced to detox in jail happily happily over that movie's over for the most part Later in the movie, oh, this guy's really sick and dying on the stairs. Don't worry. We'll throw ice cubes on his face while he naps. I was like, if they had just called the ambulance once out of four scenes, this movie has a better ending. I got to go back to this blowjob thing. How much do you think? (laughs) How much? Life and death. That's cool. Blowjob. I have to do. I have to do this math, though. Like how long it would take. How much do you think a Julian blowjob costs? Let's say fifty to a hundred. So let's say fifty. That means he has to give probably. 50. That means he has to give what ten? Is that me doing math right? Ten thousand blowjobs to pay off the debt? No, it's 50, it'd be a thousand. Fifty, fifty thousand. Really? Fifty? Yeah. Okay. One thousand blowjobs. So a thousand blowjobs. So if you did one every single day for a year, it's about three years. Okay. Straight every day, no days off, no holidays. Right. I know it's Christmas. You're working. So you're sucking a D every it's day. It's a of bad the year. investment. Yeah, it's a bad yeah, investment. Bad investment. Also, at the very beginning, does does he end up giving Julian the uh, the uh, one, the one key for free, the on spec key? 
Yes, Andy gives Andrew McCarthy an unasked for G, right? He's a first taste is free drug right, dealer. Right, yeah. See, like, I mean, one, Rip is an amazing drug dealer, but on the other hand, a, a terrible businessman. He's a bad criminal. Bad criminal. Also, like, don't be publicly fist fighting in an art gallery. Yeah. Like, they have a back alley. I'll, don't have the fight where rich white people are like, oh, God, Also, don't mess up your clearly very nice jackets. Like, he has a lot, he has a great jacket choice. A lot of great jacket choices in this movie. He's He has that uh, Firefly jacket. Yeah. <laughs> He's running around it. <laughs> Firefly jacket. I like it a lot. No, I was fascinated by Spader as the drug. I love Spader in this movie. And also, the weird choice they made with him I like is when uh, McCarthy's character shows up, or Clay's like, hey, man, stop fucking with Julian. I'll give you the 50K. Right. And you're like, all right, you just made money. Julian's already done some sexual work for you, so you've made money. This guy's just going to give you 50K, which he's like, I'll just sell my car. And I was like, oh, God, must be nice. Yeah, wow. And Spader's like, fuck you. I'm still going to kill this guy. I'm like, you're a bad businessman. Bad business, you're yeah. a bad drug dealer. You're a bad drug dealer, dude. <laughs> the whole point of intimidating these people is to get the money, plus the money you've earned from the sex work. Like, you're a bad businessman. It made me sad. I'm like, you should have gone to college, dude. Rip, you should have gone yeah. and taken a couple business classes. I don't get it. Like, Rip totally should have been, like, <laughs> Rip had to have taken at least one, maybe, like, 101 college course, but, like, forgot to go the second day. He's lived amongst wealth his whole life. He should know yeah. something. You got to know a thing or two about these <laughs> kinds of people. <laughs> yeah, I also love that scene, too, when Robert Downey comes up, and he's like, I need help. I'm in trouble. And Clay's like, what's wrong? He's like, I need 50K. And he's like, what? Don't you judge me. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, so Julian's just being a huge bitchy attitude friend, yeah, right? Don't be upset of that. And uh, as he's about to leave, McCarthy's like, don't worry. Cut to, Dad, I need $50,000. Cut to me on the couch like, fuck these kids. <laughs> fuck these kids. As, I don't know. To wrap up, that's what I think. Less than zero has really hard likability issues because uh, these are rich white kids that don't seemingly have to actually face problems. Uh, the drug addict thing is hard. Even when Julian dies at the end, you're like, man, this is sad. Yeah. But also, was there any indication Julian was just going to do better? Like, it might have been a mercy to him. Yeah. I, right? And that's the sad, horrible thing you think. So you're like, of course, you don't want anyone to die. Right. But I feel like it didn't impact the movie that much. Because you're no, just like, well. It doesn't because. He was probably on a really bad course. Right. Like, again, you're right. If, like, if Julian had gotten caught and gone to jail, he would have reemerged in the 90s become a famous actor and I'm probably saying. become a wealthy um superhero movie actor so again yeah. like like what i wanted him it's it's the problem of the whole movie though julian never has to confront or face what he did right. the one scene he gets sober he just goes and talks to his dad who caves and then he's like i'm gonna go handle this I'm like really you you honestly thought you're just gonna walk up to james spader and billy and be like hey man uh, please forgive me. And they're going to do that. He knew what the fuck was happening. Yeah, totally. So he never has to confront his issues. And then them as friends never really confront all the issues they're facing. And there was a part of me that when he dies, I'm like, they're just going to roll him out of the car and drive to college. Yeah, pretty much. I was like, that's the kind of people we're dealing yeah. with. They're not going to deal with this. So despite all of the hard to like, hard to relate, drug addict, like all these things that make it really hard to latch onto. I still found myself really fascinated by a lot of the decision-making, which was just kind of wacky and fun right. set in the theme. And it had really good performances for the most part. Robert Downey Jr. is being, you know, a must-see performance. Yeah. So I do think it's accomplished that in a movie that is pretty much on paper designed for me to hate, 
Uh, they came out with something that I, I did enjoy watching. I did enjoy this. It's movie. definitely worth a watch. It's a great time capsule, particularly. So if you like these kinds of movies and if you like, I guess if you like Brett Easton Ellis, too, uh, I don't know. Um, I mean, maybe you're the waspy rich people this movie's yeah, made for. If you're the waspy rich uh, person you know. that you're like, oh, man, I had a friend just like Julian. Or if you were like Clay and you. Oh, my bastard father didn't give me 50K once. If, or if day. you're like Clay and you like to sleep in thermals and no pants for some godforsaken reason. That okay. Everything else in the movie, I'll let slide. That is right. I'll let the I'll let the biker thing slide. All that. I have to have answers yeah, on that. That are there people that do that? That is an aberration beyond comprehension. I think I have absolutely no idea how to explain that. <laughs> um, yeah, less than zero. The film. If you want, you can go read the book. But less than zero. The film version is available on Hulu right now. That's where I watched it. I would be interested to read the book. Yeah, uh, I think I the book is different considerably from the movie but uh i also that's from brett easton ellis that also could be completely wrong but the hell with that we're a movie podcast guys uh that was less than zero we hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we did we hope you wear pants when you go to bed at night (laughs) thank you very much uh for following with us please find some movie loving friends watch these movies with them share the pod with them that's how we want to grow this show um take a second to leave a rating and review uh wherever you find us uh, follow and subscribe to the Chubby Mansion on YouTube that has the Long Box Sessions podcast and Film Alchemist podcast, and hopefully some new fun content we're doing over there. And uh, we'll be back with more Brat Pack uh, up next. Weird science. Yay!